going, buddy? How's it hanging? How's it happening? You guys know what it is. This is Kevin from the Code Progression Podcast. Brought to you by MSOTD Rocks or Rock and Metal Thrive, where you know we're interviewing all the emerging upcoming bands in the scene today. But today, oh my lord. We've got a band that's coming back after seven years, and they released their brand new single, Intercorrupted, on August 30th. There are so many people that are happy that this band is now back in the foray where their newest album is coming out on March 19th, 2021. This conversation is absolutely incredible because we talked not only about the record and the mindset behind the record, but we also talked about more of a production style of things and why so many different styles of music can blend together so well. So please, please welcome Sahaj from the band Ra. Are you guys ready? Because... This is an absolutely incredible conversation. So, let's go! Yeah! Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners of the Court Progression Podcast, when I found out that I had a chance to interview this guy, I kind of lost it a little bit because I saw that they this band finally came back after like seven years and they're releasing an album in the at the beginning of 2021 well march 2021 but it's something where a lot of people were getting super psyched about it and i'm so glad to be talking about it with the guy himself so please welcome sahaj from the band Ra. so sahaj welcome to court progression podcast and also welcome back thank you thank you this is awesome so let me ask you the first question since we're uh since we're, so why the why chord progression what's the name of why that it was something where I just was trying to figure out something that kind of had a relation to music, but it wasn't just super duper straight. It was kind of straightforward-ish, but not too straightforward. And I just thought chord progression because, you know, it just was the first thing that came to mind. I decided to roll with it. And as time has gone on, it just kind of fit as it went on because we're talking music, but then it always progresses into something else at the end in terms of the conversation. So I've had conversations where all of a sudden we talk about, you know, everything that's going on with COVID, everything that went on with how people connect with live shows. I mean, it, it goes all over the place. I've heard, I have conversations about people being big YouTube stars uh, in Sweden before PewDiePie became a thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I like that. That's cool. It's clever. It, I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. It, there was something where I had, I wanted to come up with something, came up with it. And then when it came to like putting a logo for it, I'm like, I want to put a guitar in there because it's a chord, because it's, you know, chord progression, got to be a guitar. Yeah, yeah. But, but for myself, I can't play the guitar. So I want to kind of have some weird kind of fun with it. So that's why I made it a Guitar Hero controller. Very nice. I like it. It's cool, dude. It's a good, it's a good, it covers the ground. It's a nice one. Well, thank you. That's actually the first time someone's actually asked me that question on the podcast. And I was, I'm a little thrown off by it, but I didn't ask the first question, but you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to complain. This is awesome. Well, I could ask you more questions if you want me to. I'm, I mean, we can, <laughs> I mean, we can, we can go either way with this kind of stuff. I mean, we can bounce questions back and forth, get that type of conversation going and just have fun with it. Absolutely. So yeah, so um, so it's Friday. Are we doing this uh, as of the time we're doing it? Or is this going to air later? It's going to air later, right? It's gonna, Yeah, this is going to air later because I always record these. And then right now, in terms of when we're recording this, I've got a couple that have already been recorded and scheduled to be released over the next like one to two weeks. So this will come out a little bit afterwards, but not too far afterwards. Cause, yeah, it's you all know, so cool. I'm just saying it's like, so it's a Friday night. I'm hanging out with you means that my social life is pretty terrible. Just kidding. But <laughs> no, this is cool for a Friday night. I'm hanging out. I'm at home. Uh, you know, lots going on in the world. So it's a it's a crazy, it's a crazy evening to be chatting. I got a band here also at my studio. So everything has been like a long week. So this is a this is a fun thing to do. 
Yeah, because the Friday we're shooting this is the Friday after the United States presidential election. And as we're shooting this right now, there still is no definitive winner. So one thing that I've been yeah. kind of seeing is, is especially after, you know, right after, right when it was, the election was happening on that Tuesday, it was like, everyone's kind of getting freaked out by it. Everyone's getting very sure. anxious about it. And one of my big things was whenever I get kind of in that mode, I always just turn to music. And that always is like this, like the thing where like anxiety just kind of goes away at some point. Because you can really get lost in the music and you can lo- get lost in the feelings and the memories that you have associated with the music in a positive way. So, so doing something I, like... Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, my, I do music for a living. So I'm always producing and writing with bands. So sometimes the last thing I want to do when I'm stressed out is <laughs> listen to music. But it's... Uh, but I, but you know, what's funny is... is if I, I'm glad these, I have a band here from Florida and I've been working with them all week and it's been the perfect distraction. Like literally the day's over and then I get the crazy recap of what happened for the day instead of like getting nonstop 24 hour access to whatever's going on. And it's, it's a really nice way to go about it too. Cause I kind of get the same thing where it's, I'm working during the day. Then all of a sudden after my full-time job, go to the gym and just kind of literally put the earbuds in full blast. Everything is drowned except me and whatever weights I'm trying to lift at that moment or trying to bike for an hour and just try and basically sweat out my whole entire body at that point. And then when it's done, come back and start working on all this stuff. And then by the time it's like, you know, 11, 1130 at night and I'm ready to go to bed, just quickly open my phone and just see what happened during the day. And it's just like, Oh, a bunch of stuff happened. Okay. Whatever. Time to go to sleep yeah. because I'm not really worried too much about it due to the fact that I'm not sucked into it as I'm seeing a lot of people kind of get sucked into it. It's like, if you're sucked into it, I get it. However, there's times you can, you can, you know, pull back a little bit and just find a way to alleviate some of that stress, alleviate some of that anxiety that's going on with everything that's going on around this time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, if we get into it at all, it's all very funny because to me, the, you know, the big trick has been that, that the people who are actually in control, the big corporations and all of that stuff that actually run the world, those people get a pass every four years. No one's ever really worried about them the way that they should be. And we get fo- micro-focused on these like little tribal wars that we have going on with each other. And we forget that like giant pharmaceutical country companies are running the earth, you know? But it's, it is what it is. People have to, people have to be engaged um, in the process. Otherwise it becomes meaningless, but it's still, it's still a big deal and we all we all have to try better to to be a little bit more you know objective on both sides you know very very much so when it comes to just talking about this stuff as well it's when you're talking about it you have to be objective about it and when you're talking with people with different opinions one thing i've always kind of been on that is if you have a different opinion with someone that's a okay if you're going to try and talk with someone about it you're trying to share those opinions give the opinion also give your context behind why so that that person understands why you form that opinion and then listen to them do the exact same thing and don't try and force them to have your opinion. If they're going to change their mind, let them naturally do it themselves, but keep that conversation open and flowing because that's when those shared ideas really come together and you can basically compromise on a lot of stuff in not just in terms of talking with like friends or family or other people, but in terms of overall just government as well. Well, weirdly, this segues exactly into our new single because the song is called Intercorrupted. And ultimately, it's uh, it's really almost exactly this subject that the song is written about. The song is sort of a, a sort of in the moment examination of the psychology it takes 
in order to be as tribal as we've become. So like, I always say that we need to redefine the baseline of what we think humanity is. We constantly think humanity is this great, wonderful, good intention thing. And, and we don't do a lot of good things as a, as a species. So, <clears throat> you know, one of the ways we, we can benefit and evolve moving forward is to understand how our own flaws or our own corruption actually creates the people that we want to point at and cause blame with, you know, like, so if we're sitting here and I'm like, oh, those people over there are wrong, uh, I'm doing it and I'm creating them by doing that. I'm literally giving them the fire to be who they are by me being sort of in denial of my own fucked upness. Can we curse on this? Oh, hell yeah. Okay, good. So my own, my own super duper fucked upness is, you know, the first thing I have to wrestle with. So we're in that regard, we're intercorrupted. We're corrupted together. And even though intercorrupted is a fake word, it it really defines for me the the connecting rod that we all have to share first before we can actually be objective and understand someone else's perspective and actually listen to what they're saying without a mountain of preconceived notions and judgments. So that's what the whole song is about. I mean, I, I keep telling people, people listen to the song and they like it because it's cool or whatever it is, but I keep telling people the last line of the chorus. And I think the last line of the chorus sums up the whole song. And it's and the last line of the chorus is, it's too dark for the world to see the light between you and me. And that's sort of the whole, the whole crux of this album. The album is gonna be about sort of like overcoming our natural destructive instincts and finding ways of being passionate and, and compassionate about <clears throat> evolving as a species, evolving our sense of, uh, of self and evolving the ability to connect with each other on a much deeper level than we're allowed to now because even talking to you the only thing we have in common right now is this device, you know, is this thing that's, that's, that is in between us, regardless of how hard we try. So like, even our family now, we interact through the, through our phones, through our, you know, there's no, we're so separated that we've sort of started to redefine intimacy as text messages mm -hmm. and you know, we don't have uh, we don't have the capacity. Human beings just don't have the capacity to process the amount of information we get now. Like we get a million updates versus we get notifications from our Facebook page, notifications from Instagram, notifications from Twitter. Go on TikTok and watch crazy girls dancing. Go on this. <laughs> We're literally like you know people make that joke. You remember in that movie Up, where the dog, every time he's talking, he goes, squirrel, you know? Like, yeah. that's literally all of us all the time now. And we're not, we're not emotionally or even intellectually equipped to deal with that kind of constant influx of information. And that doesn't even sort of address things like being judged, right? Because like you post a picture online of you thinking you look cool and somebody's like, dude, when did that fat guy show up? 
You know what I mean? Like, and you're crushed. Like your whole world is crushed. I'm personally, you know, I'm older now. I'm fat as fuck. And I'm just like sitting here sort of like, you know, I don't want to see myself on the internet, but now it's part of my, my job again as the guy, the raw guy. But we all suffer through this whole sort of like thing where we're presenting the best versions of ourselves. We're disappointed when people don't see the version of ourselves that we want to see. And then, of course, we only see the best versions of everyone else. So then they become way cooler than we are. So that's sort of like, I mean, I hate to get on to this whole seminar thing, but that's what the whole album is going to be about. Like, I, I've not thought about anything else for the last two or three years. And the whole record in various ways is sort of about the psychology and the sadness that we're all sharing basically because social media is completely unregulated and out of control and it only feeds us what we want to see and it only thinks that we exist on a very superficial plane and unfortunately for the most for most of us we indulge it and we indulge it incessantly i mean i am literally attached to my phone all day long and i'm you know i'm like what am i a 13 year old girl what is going on <laughs> i can't even put it down for 5 seconds but it's it's literally become my conduit for living and that's crazy to me it it really is and when it comes down to it <laughs> One thing I like that you're talking about with this whole entire album is you're really looking at the mindset but in between people, between one person and another, and mindset between a person and themselves, along with social media as well, instead of be talking about just what's going on today at face value. Because others, I'm going to say this, there's a good amount of artists out there right now when they're releasing music, they're talking about the events that are happening or they're talking about concepts that are happening. And don't get me wrong, there's some music that's coming out of that that's absolutely amazing and one example is what Bring Me the Horizon just put out with post-human survival horror. I absolutely love the album. I love the, everything they kind of talked about in there. But what you're doing with this is you're going in deeper. You're going. You're not going into that whole entire face value thing. You're going really into the mindset behind why these things are today and why we're so kind of connected, but also disconnected at the same time as well. Because using what you're talking about with the with you know redefining intimacy due to the fact that when we're talking with people, because you and I we're talking right now, and the only thing that connecting us is Basically, an internet connection and a couple of webcams. That's it. What, and what ended up happening today, actually within my family, was my, uh, one of my great uncles passed away today, unfortunately, due to COVID, and I had no idea about it. And the Sorry only, to hear that. It's, it's, it's okay. It was something where it's, it happens, but the guy was, I think he's, he's the last surviving brother of the four of them. He was 90 years old. Still, he, was right. pretty, he was still healthy, but still, it's, it's a little bit of a shock because, you know, it just kind of happened out of nowhere. But when it came to notifying everybody, the only person that was really told that when my dad found out, the only person in our family that was told in person was me. And the only reason that was because was I was over at my parents' house today for a little bit. And right. when he found out, like, if I'm over there, you know, he's going to tell me face to face. But then all, all of a sudden, everyone else gets text messages that, that he died. And it's like, wait, it, it, this is someone at the family's that the, that's been around the family for 90 years. And it's just like just a quick notification. It's kind of like a little pop up on your phone saying, "Oh, you got you got a Facebook notification from your friend Brian that said, hey, I like the picture of the food that you posted." Right. And it's oh, just yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, but that's that's par for the course nowadays, right? We we don't have <clears throat> we don't have any real. I mean, my my family is spread, so I'm here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, 
I have a brother and a sister in Los Angeles. I have a brother and sister in New York. And my parents live in New York. My parents are very old. They're 89 and 90. And we talk via these massive group texts. But like, as with all group texts, they take up a lot of time. They're constantly going off. And you sort of just, you, you, it's almost like the TV's on in the background. Like I'm not really engaged. I'm not, they're probably saying things that I should probably pay attention to, but it's, it's just way too constant. And again, like I said, we're not designed for that. We're not designed to interact from a distance through texts. I mean, through, you know, inanimate little letters. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard for people to, to understand because we're so used to it, but holy crap. I mean, 30 years ago, there were no cell phones. So we have made this massive sort of evolutionary jump from connecting via, you know, human contact to literally talking to people around the world in real time who you've never met before and, and, and affecting each other in such an immense way. You know, we're having massive, I'm having wars with people on Facebook about random subjects that I don't know, that I've never met, that I have absolutely no idea whether they even care to talk. Like you end up, it, it's, a, it's a very strange reality we live in. I think um, as you were talking about it, you know, and you mentioned bands putting out records, you know, I, I also really enjoy the new Bring Me the Horizon stuff. And I think that they, um, they, they repeatedly show a higher sort of vibration and understanding of how to connect with people on a visceral level, they always seem to be able to, whether it's through the music itself, the vocal performances, the word choice, whatever it is, it's very penetrating, which is why they are so much more, in my opinion, successful than other bands. I'm not talking about monetary success, I'm talking about effectiveness, you know, and <clears throat> not like they're not monetarily huge, but the point is, to me, I respect them as much as I like them. Um, but, you know, you do have, you have the traditional, you know, I mean, rolling down Rodeo with a pocket full of shells, right? Like that's, that's just as important in the way that they're doing it because the Rage Against the Machine model is to talk about problems via poetry that is designed to incite a reaction. They're looking for you to be shocked into feeling something. Whereas with the raw stuff, even going back to our biggest song from 2000, you know, we wrote that song in 98. It came out in 2002, a song called Do You Call My Name? Lots of people know it. And, you know, the thing I always joke about is this is a song that I wrote about how society treats people who have clinical depression and how someone who's depressed in, you know, in the world, even today, Depression is like, oh, he's lazy. Oh, he's this. Oh, he's not doing, or she's not doing anything because she's she's not focused. She's not driven enough, you know? And it's like people with clinical depression, I mean, really severe, sometimes chemical-based depression, they don't have, you know, they, they're still in a hole they can't get out of and you're expecting them to go for a job. So I wrote, I wrote this song, Do You Call My Name? Meaning like, are you talking to me or are you talking to the disease that I have, right? It's basically what the song is about, how you're sort of imprisoned by people's perception. And then of course, the craziness of the world is that 
it ends up on Tiger Woods Golf 3. And that's how people find it. So this deep song about clinical depression is like people going for a par five on a video game. And that's how they figure it out. Or MX and Unleashed, which was a video game that that one of our songs ended up. And that's how people find you. So it's sort of like, there's always that thing where you, you know, as a band where you take yourself super seriously and you're trying to achieve like some incredible penetrating idea. And then of course it's, it's while Tiger Woods is trying to putt on the on the sixth hole of this video game is when they hear your song so it's always a little humbling but ultimately with Ra it's always been sort of like how do we raise the frequency of how people think especially people in the rock band rock world community because I think a lot of the people who love rock in a weird way and I don't mean this I don't mean this the to be judgy, but there's some of the, there's very, a lot of them are forgotten people. A lot of them are people that are not necessarily super cool LA hipster dudes, or they're not super, you know, like a lot of rock fans to me, especially like core rock fans, not, not like genty metal progressive dudes who are like math fiends or, or guitar nerds or musicians. I'm talking about like your average person that gets up in the morning, puts on octane, and then goes to work and like loves Three Days Grace and Seether and Shine Down. Like a lot of those people, I mean, a lot of them are older now, which is another thing, which is why I'm still doing what I'm doing because our audience is, you know, the audience for, for what we do is still, is it leans older, um, even though we try and make the record as appealing to young people as possible. Um, but there's, there's still a group of people that listen to rock that are sort of just outside the mainstream. And just a little, maybe a little, um, what's the word? Not lost, but sort of like hungry, hungry for a, an inclusion, a feeling of inclusion. And it's different. You know, like hip hop doesn't. Hip hop is massive. Pop music is massive. But I don't. I don't necessarily always feel. And I'm. I'm half Puerto Rican from New York City. Grew up on rap. Worked for Puffy. Worked on Wu Tang records when I lived in New York. Um, so legit, like, like legit hip hop roots in my system, but I never, I always felt like the hip hop universe was always so sort of focused on glamour and focused on things that you couldn't get. Like it was always about being a rapper that was better than everyone else and everything. And it was always a competition who was richest, who was coolest, who was best looking, who had the, who had the hottest hoes, you know, and in rock, it was always you know, <clears throat> I guess it came from the fact that a lot of early rock was was really mostly focused on rebellion and 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 making political statements. I mean, it's funny as a producer and a writer, I, I don't know if you know, but I produce and write for a lot of other bands. So as a producer and a writer, it was interesting that once the political climate in the country became polarized as it did in the last four to six years, four to eight years, depending on how you look at it, <clears throat> um, record companies who were traditionally always afraid of saying anything political, all of a sudden they were like, ooh, political is trending. Let's write political songs. So I would get noted, like literal emails from record companies saying, we're looking for stuff that's political, which of course is such a like disingenuous thing. Right? Oh like, yeah, easily. You know, we're, we're really, we're really like political's hot right now. So we're looking for that, you know, and it, it's, it's, 
but it does speak to that audience too, because that audience became part of the, the of the of the army for whichever side you wanted to call it, you know. And of course, you have the majority of the of the artists leaning one way and the audience leaning another way. And rock sort of it it, it it sort of ingests itself at times, where it fights it, it fights within itself, and you forget. It's a perfect example of like we're we're so connected by the music. I mean, the amount of guys that I would get into wars with, political wars with on my Facebook page, who ultimately would come back the next day and be like, man, Fallen Angels got me through some really hard times in my life, you know? And you're like, that's where, that's what's important. That's where we connect. And I, and I would never tell uh, an artist not to say their political views if they really want to, because I feel like their political views are just as valid on either side. And I, I have some instances in my personal experience with some of my friends where guys that were not you know typical typical rock guys or typical artists tend to be liberal democrats whatever but like i know a few guys that were like they they went for the right wing thing and they sort of got attacked for it and it's sort of like a little bit of hypocrisy right because it's like okay well wait a second even if i personally lean left it doesn't mean that one side is is more valid in terms of speaking your truth if you're speaking your truth and you you know but also the internet is free for the most part and you're you know if you say something you have to be ready for whatever the backlash is going to be you know what i mean so I, i've seen i've seen i've seen it all sort of go both ways where there's you know lots of music that walks that fine line between being political or being what I would call the word, somebody once gave me this word and I love using it, but it's didactic, which means preachy, like being preachy. Yeah. And it's, you always have to walk that line very carefully. But I also found for the raw stuff that I didn't really have a, a hunger to tell people what to do as much as I had a hunger to try and get people to think just give them fuel, fuel, you know, fuel for thought. So on this record that's coming up, I feel like I'm taking that even one more, you know, one more layer. I'll tell you one song that's no one, when we went and played Shiprock, we played two new songs. One of them was Intercorrupted, which is a song that's out right now. The other song I played because it would have literally been a crime not to play it on the ship because the ship was going to Mexico. And I have a song on the new album called Let's Go to Mexico. And so <laughs> oh, that's perfect. I, yeah, I had to play the song. And, and so that particular song was <clears throat> I had written this cool. It's like a fun. It's almost like a pop song with like really heavy detuned guitars. Um, but the the message was I was super sick and tired of the fighting and the division in the country. And I started feeling bad metaphorically for America. I just felt bad for the whole country. Like I wanted to take the whole country mm. on vacation at one time. Every Everybody in the whole country, I wanted to take them on vacation. And, and if my little, you know, I'm not gonna lie, my little Trump dig, I had a little Trump dig in the song, not on purpose, but it was just one of those things where I was like, I took the, the songs and i was like well let's just take everyone to mexico 
because everybody goes on vacation and they go to Cabo San Lucas or Cancun or whatever it is. It's not like people stop going on vacation. So, and this was pre-COVID anyway. But so I wrote this song called Let's Go to Mexico, which was sort of a joke of let's take everyone and go to Mexico together on vacation. And the song really worked good. And I have to say, um, it's the only song in the history of my entire career where I sang the first verse, I sang the chorus, then I sang the second verse. And when I sang the second chorus, this is to an audience that's never heard this song ever before in their whole life. When I sang the second chorus, they sang it with me. Wait, what? Yeah, they sang this. I made, I structured the song in a certain way that it was so hooky that <clears throat> when I got to the second chorus of the first time anyone's ever heard the song, they were singing with me. So it was oh pretty awesome. God. Like that's never, that's never happened. It was really, really cool. But yeah. And, and it's a fun song. There's, you know, the thing with Ra also is um, we have, if people are fans of the band, there is a legacy of comedy in all of these records. People don't remember because they think of, do you call my name and sky and fallen angels and rectifier, all of these sort of like, you know, we're going to make it through. Don't turn away all of these like heavy songs, but every album, has sort of like some funny songs on it. And on Black Sun, we had a song called Wasted Space, which is about our old label that we had signed to and the guy screwed us over. On, on Critical Mass, I literally wrote a song about jerking off to Katy Perry. That's the entire <laughs> song. That's the, that is all the song is about. It is, it, and, and it's called Ecstasy. And if you, if, you go, if you, after this podcast, if you go back, go on to Critical Mass, which is our, the album from 2013, and listen to a song called Ecstasy. And, and if you listen to it, let's try and, try and catch the words. They're literally about jerking off to Katy Perry. But that's, well, that's neither here nor there. But I have other songs, you know, throughout the history of the band. We had a song called You Need Me, which I literally wrote about a serial killer. And it says really fucked up stuff, but it's really funny because he's like trying to convince people. He's like looking out the window, talking to like, girls and it's really creepy and it's just i think you have to have fun with it and we don't take ourselves super duper serious but we try and you know try and be um respectful of the art form you know and i think it, it also system of a down used to do that too like they, they, they had such a great sense of humor with their stuff that i miss that in other bands i miss that when you can have something that's sort of irreverent but also sort of tongue-in-cheek without it being bad or or obnoxious, you know? Yeah, because there's a good amount of bands where, I'm not going to lie, when they've created some stuff, like, it's so upfront and just so in your face that it does get obnoxious at points as well. And and for me, with more of my political leans, because I'm more just, I don't lean one way or the other way. More for me, it's like pick and choose on an issue. It's like, sometimes it might go right, sometimes it might go left. That's just sure. the way it is. So when there's sometimes where bands are really super duper upfront with it and just real brash and heavy and kind of in your face with it, and it does get annoying for me, that's how I kind of feel a bit about Rage Against the Machine sometimes. So that's where I don't really connect with them. However, my favorite band of all time is a punk band that leans left completely, which is, and which is really weird because there's been times. Well, where what band like, is that? Rise Against. Oh, Sure. So for, so for me, it's just like, I've gotten people to ask me just like, and kind of get in my case, like, oh, you listen to their stuff. You're such a big fan of their stuff, but you don't always like follow their like style or like their previews. What's up with that? I'm like, well, I love, I love the music. I love the message and I love the passion that they have in there where they're not throwing it in your face the whole entire time. Yeah. And it's just well, somewhere it's, I mean, it's smooth you know, and I love it. Just to, just to cut to sort of 
a, a perfect illustration of that is I, I'm from New York City. I grew up, you know, in, in Manhattan. I grew up in Queens, but I, I, I spent enormous amounts of time in Manhattan. And I have met Donald Trump two different times. I, I met him. I thought he was awesome when I met him. And I used to, me and my wife, one of our favorite shows was The Apprentice. We absolutely loved that. We barely ever missed an episode of The Apprentice. So it wasn't ever, it, it was weird for me to, to sort of disagree with him when it came to how he conducted himself. I didn't even disagree with him that much on policy. It was mostly just how he conducted himself. But, you know, when it comes to making a choice one way or the other, it's sort of the real world should start really focusing on the idea that if you make a choice, you're cutting one arm off. You know, it's like you're really, you're limiting your choice. You're limiting your options in your life if you decide you're going to live all the way on the left or all the way on the right. It just doesn't make any sense to do that, you know, but I think that people are slowly starting to get into that mindset. And I think, you know, even people who talk about being libertarian or any of that other stuff, like there has to be another option. There has to be a way to walk down the middle and not be considered, you know, in the old days, if you walk down the middle, it, 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 they looked at you like you didn't, you didn't, you're not choosing a side. So you're sort of just weak and you're not doing it, but it's actually a lot harder to walk down the middle. It's a lot harder to be objective and, and say, no, I'm, I lean left on this, but I totally lean right on this. I mean, I live in Indiana, you know, so it's like one of the reddest states on the planet. And I love, I don't have a lot of guns. I, I don't have any guns yet. I'm working on it, but, <laughs> but we, I, we have lots of friends here and I love going shooting and I love hanging out with them and they're, you know, we get along great. There's no, people are people. This is the, the, the art of the, the part that's artificial is obvious when you hang around good people, they're good people. What they believe can be hard to accept, but it doesn't make them good people, bad people. You know what I mean? So anyway, it's just, you know, with music, that is a very dangerous place to hang your hat unless, unless, like, I'll give you an example. Like one of the bands that I work with all the time is a band called Starset. Do you know the band? Oh, yeah. So, so I work with Starset all the time. In fact, they'll be here probably in two weeks to work on some more songs. Um, the trick with Starset is, is that he's making constant political statements in the song, constantly, in the entire whole last record. The album is called Divisions. Literally, the album is all about political things, but it's set in a universe that's not our universe. So because it's taking place somewhere else, his, his version of dystopia and or utopia and or politics, it all comes <clears throat> from a fiction. It's, it's 1984 by Orwell. It's not, it's not real life. So we give him, he's made it, he's super smart. He makes it so that he can do what, say whatever he wants to say but he never has to really address our reality because he's created his own. So that's sort of a, a thing that I share with him, the raw stuff. Like the raw stuff is sort of that tool. The raw, the raw stuff is less concept album and more just like, you know, I spent years meditating and time in India and that's where I got my name and all kinds of stuff. And that's sort of where the, I like that plane of existence. I like the higher vibration. I think music is a high vibration. I think there's meditation and things that are even higher than that. And if we can, if we can sort of just make a cool riff and a cool guitar part and a really cool vocal line, people might actually listen to some of the shit I'm saying and it might actually help them handle where we are right now, which is part of the reason why I made this record. 
totally understandable. And one thing I kind of want to jump back into because you're talking about uh, when you're talking about do you call my name, talking about how you talk, we're talking about uh, people going through depression, clinical depression, and sure. it's like, well, you're talking about them, you're talking about the disease kind of thing, and you're really trying to focus in on that. Yet people again heard it first time on uh, Tiger Woods golf game while he's trying to shoot on a par five. Yeah. When it comes down to the music, though, it's when you write stuff like that, what's going to end up happening is, is you're going to end up putting some of your own personal experiences in that, which is understandable because when you're talking about certain subjects, that always is going to come in. But why so why some bunch of people really latch on that song, in my opinion, is going to be because when they listen to it, they basically what's it connected with the message because maybe they didn't go through baby like exactly what the song was talking about, but the overall emotion overall feeling that they got from that is similar to what they went through so they, there's an understanding there and when it comes to that's why you see so many different people at live shows when it comes to you know so many different walks of life like kind of like what you're talking about with like that standard archetype of a rock fan it's that it's kind of just that person that just you know wakes up goes to work just kind of like basically is like that like blue collar american kind of style guy or or woman right. it could be other or but it's when you go to shows too it's just every there's so many people from so many different walks of life and why they're there and why at times it's like you'd see these people out on, you know, just anywhere else in the in the world. And they might be, you know, bickering back and forth. They might always be arguing with each other. But when you get into a concert setting, when everyone's there just for the music, it's like a whole entire family vibe right there. Because everyone connects with the music in a different way, but everyone's connecting with it in a positive way that everyone's sharing that experience. And that's amping up everybody's experience throughout it. I mean, I've been to so many live shows before. Just, well, so many live shows last year and just by itself because, God, I think it went to like 30 or 40 or something like that. And there are times where I'd see people where, you know, I've never seen these people anywhere else. I don't know anything about them, but it's like every time I'd see them, I, they were kind of felt like my friends just due to the fact that we were all there to see the same bands. We we're all there to enjoy the same bands together because we all connected with them in such a positive way, whether it's something where we just enjoy the sound or maybe their music helped us out during an incredible difficult time in our lives. But because we all have that positive reaction to it, you know, when that song starts playing, everyone's going to have that same, everyone's going to have an emotional response to it positively, but it might be different, but everyone's going to be enjoying it and connect within that own way. Yeah, I think there are, you know, it's sort of obvious which genres of music sort of feed off of the family vibe, right? Like rock does, country does, um, certainly, certainly EDM does, right? Because EDM is all about sort of being in the subculture. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think, and, and of course, not that pop and hip hop don't do that. It obviously does. Like, you know, the, 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 I know, I know grown women in this town that are 35 years old that will, that will spend any amount of money to go to a Justin Bieber concert, like literally. And it, and it's because they just like, they can't get enough of the vibe and the energy that he provides. And look, I love pop. I think that stuff is really, really cool. There is something special, you know? I got the honor of working with Chad Gray about two weeks ago, three weeks ago in Vegas. I flew to Vegas and I got to work with Chad and I've worked, you know, I've worked with Motley Crue and I've had Nikki Six at my house and, and in, in fairness, and Nikki's going to hate that I say this, but in fairness, I was less starstruck with Nikki because as much as I love that era in time, I was a super Metallica fan and I wasn't really a Motley Crue fan. So I knew obviously he's incredible. And, and, and in terms of like what Motley Crue achieved, I was aware of that. And I was certainly honored to be working with him because I wrote with him on the dirt and all that stuff. But, um, you know, working with Chad 
Like I, and I don't, I, I know everybody. I mean, I'm working right now. I'm doing Lejean's Seven Dust, Lejean's solo record right now. We're doing a whole bunch of stuff. I've just finished. I'm working with Jason Hook from Five Finger. <clears throat> but the, there was something about hanging out with Chad. Like I played shows. We'd opened for Mudvayne back in the day, but Mudvayne was one of those bands that was like, you can't fuck with Mudvayne. Like Mudvayne was like the shit. Like I remember seeing them play on shows with big giant artists and everyone else had the obligatory walkout sub frequency programmed intro. And it was, you know, the loopy drums. And by the way, we've done that shit. So like, I'm not saying that we don't do it, but fucking Mudvayne didn't even have a sequencer. A drummer didn't play to a click. They just came out and it was four dudes crushing, crushing. And Chad, you know, back in those days was, was, uh, you know, absolutely on fucking fire. So when I'm hanging out with him and he's telling me that Mudvayne's coming back, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and I'm hanging out with him like a buddy. Like, we're just hanging. I went to his house that night and we had pizza. Like, I mean, it was just, it was a very interesting thing. And, you know, and again, I have a long list of people on, on in my universe currently that probably 10 years ago, if you told me I was working with these people, I'd be like, really? That's my future? Yeah. Oh, my God. But I take my work so seriously that, like, my, <clears throat> you know, I don't look at me doing Lejean's solo record as like, oh, shit, how cool am I? It's like, I better not fuck this up. Yeah. That's how I think. I'm like, LJ's been talking about doing a solo record for 15 years. I'm going to have to deliver this fucking thing. And <clears throat> I'm super stoked with where we're at. Everybody that works with him is super stoked with where we're at. But, you know... That's the way I look at everything. So like working with, you know, even working with Hook, who just recently left Five Finger, it's like, you know, Jason and I have a very, we're very similar age. We have the same sort of personality. We, we just talk like, we, and it came out of nowhere. Mind you, Jason knows me because of Nikki Six. So Nikki hooked me up, basically told Jason, he's like, oh, if you're going to do stuff, you should probably work with Sahaj. And I was like, and Jason hit me up and I was like, oh, cool, let's talk. And it just sort of spiraled from there. And I went to Vegas. When I went to Vegas to work with Chad, I went and hung out. Uh, we did a couple of days at Hook's place, and then, um, <clears throat> you know, with Dustin, I have, I have some of my best work. Certainly, I would say my best work that's out um, as a producer, non-raw, is all the stuff I've worked with uh, with Dustin and and Starset. And I think um, even though I don't have a lot of production credit on those, a lot of those songs, especially like Die For You and some of the bigger songs that I really like manifest, um, those are songs that like have a lot of my stamp on them. Um, and I feel really proud to be involved with a band that has such a unique sort of like place in the rock world. And <clears throat> over the summer, I cut the drums for the new raw record with Scooter, our drummer in New Orleans. And through a series of odd events, I ended up hanging out with a friend who's really good friends with Johnny Hawkins from Nothing More. And we hung out the whole night and ended up writing a couple of songs with them. Hopefully one of them makes the album or something like that. But we're, we've, been, uh, we've been going back and forth on stuff. And that's another band that for me is in a unique place artistically where you're not just like, you know, there's a lot of bands that sort of, they end up sort of being on the same stage with other bands that sound like that. And yet for me, Starset and, and, and nothing more 
they sort of share a thing because it's a lot of programming and a lot of this and that and it's conceptual but they're also sort of super unique and sort of really high concept if you will and so i'm proud of working with certainly proud of working with star set we'll see if if my song ends up on the album then i'll be proud of working with nothing more but uh the you know currently there's so many things circling you know um and projects that i'm working on with bands small and large that i'm friends with that i've known for years and it's just been really good and i'm, I'm super stoked i mean i got lucky with the COVID thing because um most most of my bands couldn't tour so because they weren't touring they're all they're like well we got to record so i was like all right we'll come over and i just left los angeles i literally moved out of los angeles february 27th and it shut down march 3rd oh wow yeah so i left la right before it shut down and, and then now i'm living in this big old house in the middle of you know a, a brand new edition doesn't even show up on a map so there's like half of the houses aren't even built yet and so there's nothing but space here and <clears throat> a lot of people were more excited to come instead of less excited you know and you would think people pandemic are like oh i don't want to leave my house they were like no get me the fuck out of los angeles i mean jason hook came here if we, we never met each other he came to my house here in fort wayne to me <laughs> like it was just craziness so there's a lot of cool um things that are going on right now and there's also um, I don't know if you play an instrument or anything like that, but there's a music store here called Sweetwater. And it's a really, really big online uh, retailer, 600, $700 million in retail every year. It's massive, massive place. They also have two very, very, very high-end recording studios. And now that I live here, um, we're talking about doing stuff on a regular basis together. So that's even become a whole other layer. And then on top of that, I have to manage now being the front man of a band again and doing so. So life is crazy. I have a five-year-old and my wife and it's all, it's all very nuts, but very sort of like, there's a part of me that's relishing feeling this sort of, I feel like I'm squeezing, I'm wringing life out of, the, out of the towel a little bit more than I have in the past. Because even when I was in LA, I would do these 10 hour days, but I didn't live, you know, like there wasn't a lot of, there's a lot of just like, okay, here's another project, here's another song, here's another thing, here's another that. And it became very routine. And there wasn't a lot of satisfaction for me because if you think about the songwriting game, a lot of it is sort of throwing darts at a target. Like you're only gonna hit the bullseye every 20, 20 times you throw it. So you gotta write 20 songs to get one place. It's, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of grind. So when you get to write your own songs for yourself and gratify, you know, the self-gratifying feeling is pretty intense. Oh my God. Yeah, it has to be. And I, I love the fact you're talking about kind of like literally taking a shirt, just wringing out life outside of it due to the fact that, especially the time we're in now with this whole weird COVID thing and you being out in Indiana, the fact that you're able to do all of that and just all the different kind of connections that are being made through that as well. Because like you're saying, like all of a sudden you're getting to work with Chad Gray, you're getting to, you work with Nikki Six Four, and now you're, and you're working with Star Set and all of a sudden you're working with all these different bands at the same time as well. And it's absolutely incredible to think about that. And the fact that you're really absolutely enjoying it and now backing back up with uh fronting for Ra, like you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be enjoying life to the fullest at this moment. It's cool. I'm tired because I'm always been, I've always been a late bloomer. So like, even when I got signed to universal, I was, I was old for a guy getting signed to universal in 2002. Like I was on the, I was on the, is this guy too old to be doing this? And so for me to be doing this now, 
thank God, my, I'm going to knock on wood. Thank God my mom has good genes because I don't look anything like my age. But I pull off, you know, I work all the time. And my wife's 15 years younger than me. And it's, you know, my kids keep me, my kid keeps me super young. And I'm really, fun, you know, focused on a lot of stuff. We got to make the video, by the way. I don't know if, uh, if you got to check out our retarded uh, Intercorrupted video, like that video was so much work. Like no one can, no one will really understand. Like you can watch it and be like, well, that's sort of cheesy, and that was this, and that was that. But we had to shoot eighty-five shots in one day in Phoenix, Arizona, in the summertime, wearing a suit and a mask. That it was one hundred and fifteen. By the time it was two o'clock in the afternoon, the guy who directed oh, no. it, a guy named Kurt Pear had to go to the hospital with heat stroke that night. And people are like, well, I don't like the way, you know, oh, that was that, you didn't act that part out cool or whatever it is. And I'm like, dude, we were blitzkrieging that video. <laughs> we took two or three, two or three takes, ran to the next flat, did it, ran to the next. I mean, that we shot that whole thing from 5.30 in the morning to two in the afternoon. And I mean, there's a shot in that, I tell this all the time, there's a shot in that thing where I'm laying on the floor because something happens and I'm laying on the floor towards the end. We took that shot like three or four times, but we also took a meter and put it to the floor because we were at the top of a garage. We took a meter and put it on the floor and the meter said the floor was 152 degrees. 52, not 115, 152 degrees because it was absorbing the heat of the sun. And I laid on it for like six minutes straight. And my leg was like red and all messed up. Oh, like that was, you know, there's all these things that are happening in this music video that, you know, sometimes the story of making the video is even crazier than, than the video itself. I mean, and, you know, I, I, I personally, I'm a perfectionist and I go crazy and I had a vision for the video that we didn't have time to finish. Um, but we're going to do a special edition, I think, uh, that come out to comes out, uh, that will come out somewhere around Christmas, a special edition of the video with my friend who is a high level CGI artist. And he's going to take it that whole extra thing. Cause we have this, you know, in the video, there's a case and the case is supposed to represent something, but we didn't have time to animate all the stuff it was supposed to represent. So that all got sort of like rushed and all of that. But when, when we do the special edition, it's going to have all the footage with all the CGI and all the stuff so that it looks the way it's supposed to look. So hopefully we'll get that done by Christmas, but that'll, that'll be fun because then you get to see it. I get to do my George Lucas special edition and not feel like I, uh, I half-assed it. But it was, you know, either way, it still came out really great. And the guy who shot it again, Kurt Pear, he absolutely crushed, you know, he, he brought a million dollars worth of, of gear to this shoot and just did an incredible job filming it. I mean, you can tell the quality that's behind that video as well, because I still remember watching it like within the first minute, I thought I was actually watching some sort of like spy espionage movie, just the way it was shot, just the, the certain cinematics behind it, the certain movements that you guys had, it really kind of pulled all of that into it. So even though you guys were working in like, you know, in Phoenix in the summer in 115 degrees on top of a parking garage. I mean, I, it's, it was for me personally, it was still hard to tell that you guys went through that in a whole entire day due to the heat. I, I mean, oh, I couldn't, was, I wasn't it able was to crazy. Tell. I mean, my friends all in LA and my wife included, like there's a scene in it where I'm running and my wife's like, I didn't know you could run. <laughs> and my friend literally texts me in the thing. He's like, 
He's like, I'm watching this video and all I can think about is I don't think I've ever seen Sahaj run before. <laughs> so, it, you know, and I'm running full speed. So it's pretty ridiculous because I look ridiculous. But it is, you know, it was part of the thing and we designed the whole sort of climax of the video to have it. So I had to figure out how to get the, get the old legs moving. It was actually mm -hmm. super fun. I mean, as, as hot as it was and as crazy as it was, I was so motivated and so satisfied with the process that, you know, it's it scratched an itch that I had for 20 years because 20 years ago I wanted to do an action video for for do you call my name and Universal wouldn't give us the money because in those days videos were very expensive and you know if I told you the, what we paid to make this video the one that you watched like you would not believe how cheap it was and this was a perf this was a personal favor by this guy and you know to they can't undersell how much more it should have cost. <clears throat> yeah, because there was one um, a couple of weeks ago or something, but maybe last month or something, because I was on Twitch on uh, Ronnie Radke's live stream just because I was watching it at work, just seeing what was going on. And someone asked him how much like the popular monster video cost. Sure. And it was like, oh, he said, just take a guess. And the person guessed and it was like, it was like, oh, $500,000. And all of a sudden he just started laughing. It was like, no, no, no. It was, I'm not going to tell you the exact number. I'll put it this way. It was way more than that. So I can easily understand where it comes to those music videos being able to like costing a lot and why universal didn't want to put the money up for, do you call my heart or yeah. Is that, is that it? Shoot. Yeah. You call do you call my name. name. I was like, Oh my God. I'm thinking heart. My God. You know, right. I, you're, I, you're I mixing. it's the, it's the, it's the Grimmy, the horizon mashup for, can you feel my heart? And do you call uh, my name? <laughs> as you can tell, like I said, right before, right before we started recording, I'm going to mess up at some point today. And oh, yeah, yeah, there it's all it was. <laughs> so it's it's all all thank you for correcting me. But like, I can easily see where that comes in because when you're thinking about music videos and I'm seeing some of the other music videos that have come out, a lot of the times, some of the simple ones really work out really well, but there are other times where some of those super duper cinematic ones, sometimes you absolutely need those to make the song pop even more. And when you watch the one for intercorrupted, you do get that feeling. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, like I said, the, the, there's no, we've only done one video in 20 years, which was the original do you call my name video, which we shot in a basketball court with two cameras. Like literally it was just a performance video. It was ridiculous and it was, it served its purpose. Um, it still cost 10,000 bucks, but it was, it was basically simple. And if we were going to do another, um, if we we're going to do a first video in 17 years, I was like, well, it's gotta be something crazy. And <clears throat> I just, I just thought to myself, I said, no one wants to see old dudes playing their instruments. No one wants to see that. I just hate videos like that. Even if you're young and you're cool, I don't want to see you in a, if I see another fucking video with a band in a factory playing, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, this is the stupidest shit I've seen a thousand times. I'm so not going to do that. So the idea of, and obviously taking a cue from Starset who did like car, you know, concept, but you know, he's never been, he, they don't want to be in the videos. And I, I was like, you know what? I want to be in the video, but I want to be the villain and I want to be the heavy. Because as an older guy and a bigger older guy, I can pull that off. But I don't want to be in tight jeans holding the guitar, singing to the camera. Because that I did that on the Metal stuff. I don't know if you know who Metal Cohen is, but she's a YouTube drummer uh, phenom who has like millions of followers and all this stuff. But I I ended up doing um, fronting her band, which which sort of set up me doing the new Ross stuff. But we did a video for this song called Armalite. And the video is pretty cool and I can survive it even though I am in tight jeans wearing a guitar singing at the camera. <laughs> I do, I can do it. I just was like, man, I, 
I don't buy me doing that. You know, I'm not like some skinny, I'm not Ollie, you know, I can't pull it off. So I was just like, this is not my game. So I think for the next video, I am going to do a performance video, but it's just going to be me walking in the woods, singing this lyrics to this song. But this particular song is like, it makes more sense. All the footage is slow-mo. It's a whole other thing. It's not going to look quite as, it's not an action movie at all. It's more meditative, but the track is really heavy. It's, It's a cool thing. And that's understandable. I do get what you're saying when you're talking about um, when you have a music video, if it's just like a performance video and that a band like in a warehouse or in like it just just somewhere just just playing. It's it's something that you see those videos or like out in a field just for no apparent reason. It's you watch it. It's like, OK, but when you think about music videos, like the ones that people remember are the ones that really capture everything around it and, and around everything that's going on. And another perfect example that honestly has got to be what Ice Nine Kills did with their whole entire Silver Scream stuff because they had a music video that was like a it was a it was a five part movie in in a way yeah of and it was something where you well, where you he was talking about that when we were on Shiprock so when we when we, I was I was told that this was coming and I guess it, the 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 timeline for it accelerated because COVID because COVID happened but yeah I mean you know Spencer has. Um, you know, like I said, sort of an in-depth knowledge of film and, and, and a passion for, for horror films and all this other stuff. And uh, he, you know, he created, he has like this whole multi-year timeline of how he's going to release all this this content. And I think, I think it's the only way you can be nowadays. You have to sort of think that way in order to be competitive, unless you're sort of an, a core artist already. If you're shine down, you're shine down. You don't have to worry. You know, you put out a record, people are going to buy it and tour and you do what you're going to do. I mean, not that they're not conceptual. And mind, mind you, I'd like to take one second to say that the Smith and Wire stuff is actually really good. And I'm not, I'm not the biggest shine down fan in the universe, but the Smith and Wire stuff is actually like memorably good, which is always nice to see, right? Guys that we used to play with back a million years ago, evolving to a point where they're sort of like really doing something interesting. So, I, I, you know, I'm just doing a little shout out there, but um yeah i mean it's all good man <laughs> oh easily and it's like even with intercorrupted as well there was a little bit of a shine down feel that i did get on the track as well especially in the chorus i'm not gonna I'm not, yeah because when i was listening to it i was trying to figure out exactly why the way the chorus was constructed with intercorrupted with the way you were singing it as well where i felt that some some similar vibe to and similar kind of emotion overall when it came to trying to find another song that really captured that same feeling that i had and the one that I landed on, especially, was the chorus and the uh, post-chorus for "Attention, Attention" by Shine Down. That not the not okay. not just the album, the, the titular song from the album as well, because it just I don't know what it was, but it's just the sound just really just hits you in a certain way on and both "Interrupted" and on "Attention, Attention." It hits you the same way with the same kind of vigor and the same kind of power, with more of like just more drawn up melodicized kind of feel, which I really do like. Yeah, it just, I gotta, it, I gotta check that out. Cause I don't think I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm aware of that song. And if I am aware of it, I certainly haven't listened to it more than once or twice. So I gotta go listen back and see if I, if I get what you're saying. Yeah. It came out on their 2018 release. Okay. So that was the, uh, that was the, the record that had like some, some Imagine Dragons overtones. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. And th- like the songs that I really, like the one song that really kind of had the old, like, cause I'm not a big Magic Dragon fans. I really don't like them. That's just my personal taste sure. though. But the one song where they kind of had a little bit of that overtone to it in the intro was a song called, uh, God was, was it black sun or black soul? I can't remember. God, I can't remember the name of it, but yeah. like the intro has it, but then it goes, it, it kind of just builds up to it. And then all of a sudden, once you get to the full chorus of it, it just hits with this 
really intense hard rock kind of vigor to it. So it's like, okay, I can see where the, and the lead into it with that, like Imagine Dragons overtone actually worked out really well in my opinion. So I'm like, okay, I can really get behind it. There's some stuff I was like, "Uh, I'm going to pass on. But then again, when it comes to that, that's all based on personal opinion and personal taste. Right, right. Yeah. And and of course, like I said, I mean, I always say the same thing with uh, Shine Down because I, I listen to not just the songs, but I listen to the production and the, the the craftsmanship that goes into making the records. And they've always made records that sound incredible and have like a real sort of like sonic stamp. And, and you know, there's, I always feel like there's an effort being made. You know, there are certain bands that sort of for me, um, that just feel like they sort of make the same record over and over again and and just sort of capitalize on it. And I'm ne- I'm never sure whether it's because that's all they can do or whether or not they're more interested in the branding than they are sort of reaching out creatively. But either way, um, I appreciate the Shinedown universe because of the because of the way the the albums always sound really really powerful. Yeah, and there's other there's always bands that do have that kind of style where it's just we listen to their albums and it's like, they're a little bit different every now and again, but they always have that same power and that same kind of, I wouldn't say go like blast in your face, but kind of like penetrate you on the inside a little bit, like kind of hit you in the heartstrings a little bit, just to play like hit you basically kind of, what's the best way to put it? Kind of hit you in the emotions in a more of a hard rock kind of powerful way. That's not just like trying to like kind of creep in and kind of just really like dig deep in. It's like a quick punch kind of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why I think, you know, in the in the DNA of even the most progressive, even the most cool Bring Me the Horizon song, there's still elements of Linkin Park and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and, you know, bands that that sort of formed in the in the in the 90s and, and, and early 2000s, because those are the bands that sort of redefined what rock radio were. I mean, and, you know, to a certain extent. The, those are also the bands that sort of <coughs> set the trajectory for rock radio to to <laughs> to die. Not because they weren't good, but because so many people copied them yeah. that the, the originality started to to disappear from the uh, from the the style. But now it feels like in the last five to ten years that there's been sort of a little bit of a a reshift back towards the creativity part of the rock universe and. You know, I mean, I, I dig all the bands that try really hard to incorporate uh, pop elements. You know, obviously, Bring Me the Horizon was really the first one to do it on a massive scale. And now bands like I Prevail and, and Asking Alexandria and all of those guys, like they're still all pulling from like that alternative slash pop world where they can cross over and have a little bit of love on both sides of the fence. And I think it I like that stuff. I think it's cool. I think there's. I think there's still sort of a gap between like the truly great pop artists and what some of the rock artists try to do. But I think um, that gap is as small, has gotten smaller in the last two or three years than it was say five years ago. I, I think a lot of bands in like 2015, 2016 were just sort of like experimenting with how do I make a poppy melody and how do I put it on a rock song? And, and it just got sort of, it was a it was sort of a shitty version of that, but they've they've sort of figured it out a little bit better now, you know. I mean, sometimes as a producer and a guy that's like so obsessed with melodies, and I and I have really good memory, so sometimes I hear a song and I'm like, ah, that's that's that Halsey song. Oh, that's a Miley Cyrus song. Oh, that's that's you know, and I know exactly where they got it from. But the audience, if you're a true rock fan, then you don't have exposure to Billie Eilish, you know. So yeah. it's like. 
to get some of that flavor secondhand from a rock song is still valuable to me, you know? Oh, it, it very much is. And like for, for rock fans as well, it's just the way that they're created at the same time as well, just to incorporate those more pop melodies, those more pop sounds as well. One thing that I've always been consistent on is there has to be something that usually connects like that connects the artist core style with that pop element. And I'll use bring me the horizon as a perfect example. That's on a song off of the uh, post human survival horror with Kingslayer that, which featured baby metal on it because they, I mean, they went with more of this like produced metalcore cyberpunk kind of sound, but yeah. they also incorporated the J pop stylings that baby metal also incorporates in their sound as well. And I was trying to figure out why does this all work together so well? And it was all based on how each part and how each influence was paced in that song. Cause everything's right. got that, con- everything's got that fast pace to it. So when you mix it together, it blends so well. Then you have out the Ali's vocals where there's times when he's singing, there's times when he's doing his rougher, unclean kind of style. And then he's doing his whole death core kind of scream. Yeah, then sure. you've got Sue metal coming in with the softer, more higher pitch kind of vocals, but they work so well with the pacing at the same time as well. Everything just flows together in comparison and then also in contrast with the overall tones of, you know, you get some heavy, hard-hitting kind of drumming style. Then you get this, like, cyberpunk J- J-pop kind of track over it. But that contrast of that heavier sound, that more high-pitched, lighter sound, it just draws out the sound of both of those in a completely different way, but also makes them better at the same time, too, because you can yeah, hear the, the difference. Yeah, the, the, the trick with all of that is always the same thing. It's, you know, it doesn't really matter... You know, the finessing that has to go on to make something like that work is is a skill set. But more importantly, uh, the authenticity required. So if you get two artists that are on diametrics, different sides of the scale, but they're but they're incredibly authentic, like their their delivery feels real no matter what they're doing. You can create that bridge fairly easy because the hardest part of making any song is getting people to believe you. So if you have that part of it figured out. Ollie knows how to get people to believe you and Baby Metal knows how to get their audience to believe them. And they do a certain thing with their melodies and the whole thing. I mean, it, it's to me, it may, you know, from a, from a micro examination, it may seem really far apart, but to me doing what I do day in and day out, looking at it, it's like, no, they're not, they're really not that far apart in terms of what they really do. Even though they sound different, the ultimate, universe they they share the same universe it's just the j-pop version of the same universe but it's but it makes sense to me and again you know you 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 don't it's a risk reward thing you have to take those risks in order to be able to even find out if it can work but if you have a skill set and you're really dedicated to what you do um then what you do can incorporate other things without it necessarily diluting it little you know talking about producer stuff but still i think it's uh it's it's a cool vibe yeah and what i'm hearing you talk about the producer stuff is as well i'm taking it from a fan fans perspective a little yeah. bit more of a deeper fans perspective because when i'm doing like album reviews or i'm looking at music or i'm actually trying to dive deep into it i will try and deconstruct every single part of it in my own way just do the fact that i don't have that if extensive musical background that i could have had because when i was a kid i i, I was a drummer but then all of a sudden I got into high school and was like, okay, I could go, I could continue playing drums or I could go and play sports and I could do one or the other. And because I was 14 years old and I love sports, I kind of went that way. But now I'm like, oh, we're going back the other way on this. So yeah. I want to get myself an e-drum kit though, just because, you know, why not? 
But are awesome. When it comes to just trying to deconstruct some of these songs, it's I'm taking a look at it from my own perspective, trying to figure this out kind of on the fly in a way, but I'm figuring this out in my own way and understanding certain things that when I talk about them, I get people like, oh, we never thought of it that way. But then when you're talking about it in a producer setting, I'm thinking, oh man, I've got a lot more to learn. <laughs> well, I mean, again, but this is, you know, it's no different than, than a guy who, you know, who works in a car shop and knows the insides of cars. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I do this all day. So my perception of it and my perspective on it is, is, is both as a, an observer from a wide perspective, but I'm also really able to sort of dissect and see the, the, you know, the minutia of things. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, for the most part, um, you know, I'm constantly impressed by Bring Me the Horizon all the time. It's even me and Dustin, when we were together, we always sort of just, we were always like, wow, this is a band that has been fairly creative on a level consistently. It's very difficult to do when, you know, what your sound is, is fairly defined. Like, it's not like their sound is this huge, wide, crazy. I mean, the ammo record maybe, you know, was a, was a leap out, but, yeah. but I always think of that as Justin's solo album, which is more the, the one guy, the, the producer or Jordan or Justin, I think it's Justin, but um, his like, his, his thing to just go nuts. But, but the band is fairly defined and, and to be able to sort of sustain this and create music that still resonates and still feels good and new, you know, I mean, I, I think that's really cool. It really is. And w like, even what I did was, what, cause I'm always one of the first sounds I actually reviewed for the whole entire project and not going to lie. I really didn't care for it. Just, it's just, again, personal opinion. But right. then after a couple of months, I made another video about dis dissecting why bring me the horizon made an album like that. And I really looked into it to try and understand why they went, why they went and made I'm the way they did. And oh, I, I think, I think it's, I think it's pretty obvious to me. I mean, to me, the, the obvious thing was, they had done Semp Eternal. They had done um, um, that's the spirit. That's the spirit. Yeah. And then they did uh, what was the one after that? The it was Amo after that. Oh, uh, then I'm talking about the one that had just like the EDM ambience record. What was that called? Oh, the songs to like it was like a fifty fifty word long title. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was the one I was talking about. I think okay. Amo. I think because Amo has like. Um, mantra and stuff on it and i think yeah i think what they what they were trying to do there was they were just sort of setting up um with ammo i think they were trying to set up you know the parameters and i think they were testing some boundaries i, I made a post about medicine you know and <clears throat> at the time i really didn't like that song and the reason i didn't like that song is because certain bands have to be very careful of how far they push the barriers so to me, and I listen to a lot of pop and I listen to a lot of stuff. So to me, Bring Me the Horizon is very special when it does its combination of angst and pop and all of this other stuff. That song, Medicine, to me, was so poppy that it felt, I mean, it, you know, it, it, the way I described it is it, it seemed like a three-year-old Five Seconds of Summer song. It didn't really have the, the thing that makes Bring Me the Horizon special to me wasn't the focal point of that song. So then it just became sort of like a pop song. And then if you're going to put yourself in the category where now you're going to be compared to the actual pop artists, like the actual people doing this, then you start to become less special because how do you, you know, it's not like you can't be better at what five seconds of summer does than five seconds of summer. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you put yourself in direct competition with a band like that, not that they're so great, 
But the idea is that they do something very specific and they're very good at it. It's hard to put yourself in that position and then expect the results to be as good as that band that that's all they do. So that song for me sort of rubbed me the wrong way. And I was like, that song to me is just too pop. And then I think maybe they came to the same conclusion because after that they did the super ambient crazy record. And then when they did this latest one, they went back to heavy guitars and back to cool parts and back to anxiety and, and, and sort of having that tension in the tracks that they had lost you know, for a couple of records. So I think that, that um, you know, that part of it is, 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 is uh, full circle. It feels like it came back to what was that we ever, we all wanted them to do. Yeah. For me, it was that, that angst and that anger and that emotion was just, it felt like it was stripped away, especially as you got into Amo and then you got into the, I, I can't even, songs to whatever, whatever, whatever. I think I'm just going to call it that from now on. But then when it came to uh, post-human survival horror, where even you had features from Baymel, you had features from Nova <laughs> Twins, from Amy Lee, and you had features from Youngblood also on there as well. Yeah, and that's it's like, okay, that, like that, there's a lot going on there. I'm not going to lie. I was, because I was nervous when Obey came out with Youngblood. Cause I'm like, okay, what the heck are they going to do with this? But then when I listened to it, it's just, uh, I was like, oh, I see what's going on here. And it's just, it, it felt much more natural to bring me the horizon. And then when you listen to what they were doing on Youngblood's verse, it was they made the instrumentals a lot more electronic just for that specific right. part. And it helped bring out Youngblood's part even more because it matched his style a little bit more. So I was like, the first oh, time wow, I heard that, that song, I actually had a hard well. time figuring out who was singing. Because the, when the Youngblood was singing, I was like, wait, is that, wait, is that Ollie? No, that's Youngblood. Wait, no, that's Youngblood. No, that's Ollie. I got, I got <laughs> I got confused because I was listening to it at the gym, and so I couldn't hear it like like on headphones or anything. It was pretty crazy, but yeah, I I think I think again, you know, again for me, they're they're one of the better sort of things out there, especially anything that's been relatively new that I have personally worked on, you know. Yeah, because like I mean, I've I've gone through a bunch of stuff that's more relatively new just to really try and get a deep dive into it. And there's some stuff lately I'm like, okay, there's some stuff that. Eh, you know, I'm going to pass on a little bit. There's stuff I like, but there's only a couple of things lately that I've listened to. And I was just like, basically my jaw was on the floor listening to them. And one was the new Bring Me the Horizon record. One was the debut record from a band called Saul. Their album yeah, yeah, rises equals. I, I, I listen now, I'm just like, this is good stuff. <laughs> just going off on it. And then there's some stuff even like earlier, beginning of the year in 2020, because I'm just sticking it within the year that I really enjoyed. Like uh, Polaris's album, The Death of Me. That was, I thought that was incredible. Trivium's new record where they kind of had this different feel of they were picking different parts of each like album that they made so you got a little bit of a different sound throughout the whole entire track all these different tracks but everything still felt as such a cohesive unit where when you got to the stuff that kind of resembled something that was more like silence in the snow right it was just like oh it's like you hear Matt Heafy he's gonna go all clean on this one but it still had that heaviness feel to it that Trivium had with a little bit more of a faster pace kind of style then you got to something like the ones we leave behind. I'm like, oh my God, this is like the sin, the sentence 2.0 right here to end the album. Right. I was like, oh, this is, and I'm just sitting there just like, ah, just having a good time with it. But it's just that connectiveness that's there. It's just, man, when you can, re- when I've seen bands that kind of manipulate some of their sounds in a way, but when you manipulate in a way, but I've always said this, if you keep that core there, that really kind of makes you special, you can go in so many different directions and you can try so many different things and you can keep that core there. Will also expand your horizons, and I bring me the horizon on this last record did that perfectly. Yeah, I agree. I think so. I think there's a lot of stuff on the on the record that we're putting out in in March that will probably you'll after after you specifically after having this conversation with me, I think you'll listen to the album. You'll be like, oh, he he's he's aiming for that. You'll figure out 
what it is that I'm I'm going for. There's certain uh, newer artists that are sort of that have stuck with me. I I, I like uh, I actually like Grandson quite a bit. So I like Grandson. I like Sleep Token. I like uh, a bunch of uh, cool, you know, newer bands. But yeah, that's the that's the lay of the land, my brother. Oh, easily. And I was going to be like, oh, well, I'll have to take a listen to the record. But I'm like, wait a minute, I'm already going to end up listening to the record when it comes out, because I know when it comes when it comes out, it's March 21st, correct? Uh, March 19th. 19th. Pre-sale, oh, man. The pre-sale is February 1st. And then uh, March 19th, which is that Friday, um, is when the album will come out. I'm mixing up my I'm mixing up my days here. Dang, you leap. Yeah, your... it's, it's all good. No worries. Well, once February 1st comes out, I'm able to start pre-saving it. I mean, I'm going to pre-order it right on that day just because. Well, well, we'll send bang, you. A, we'll send you a. We'll send you a preliminary copy, of course. Ooh, now I'm ha- I'm excited for that. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to listening, especially after listening to Intercorrupted, because again, it has that like what I said was it had this certain power to it when you listen to it. And one thing I really liked about it was when you kind of took a look at the message that was behind the track, because I did read your the little uh like press promo that uh sure. that Shauna sent me, just like okay, see what the meaning of the song is, because. I always like to see what the meaning of the song is, then take a look at the lyrics as well, and then see how the song within the instrumentals, not just the vocals, but the instrumentals, also plays off of what the meaning is. And what I yeah, really like- from, from a music standpoint, it's an interesting song because, you know, um, I write and work with so many newer bands that I sort of clearly know, like, what is new and cool, but my fans are 20 years old, older than when we broke. So how was I, I had the, you know, the, the, the conundrum of a song like into corrupted is how do I make something sound like raw sound like old raw, but still somehow not sound dated and not sound like it came out, you know, that it should have come out mm-hmm. in 2004. So, <clears throat> you know, I spent a lot of time sort of, analyzing what I wanted to do with this particular song in order to sort of achieve, okay, this is the comeback song in the sense that I wanted people who love the band to hear what they loved about the band, but I also wanted to make sure that there were elements that were new and interesting and that felt like modern songwriting without being too modern that it sounded hokey. So with that particular song, I went, you know, in a very, very defined, clear direction, but there's stuff on this record that is unapologetically new, like literally based on brand new songs that I am obsessed with that are like rap songs, like things that people won't know that that's where I got it from. But like, you know, I'm very fussy about sounding dated in a certain way. I don't mind sounding dated in a context of music that feels like it's coming from the roots of something of the past but I don't like feeling dated in the songwriting. I don't want people to listen to the songs and be like, oh, this song should have come out 10 years ago. I want them to be like, oh, this song sounds like it came out today, but I recognize where it comes from. Oh, I totally understand that as well, because there are times where you listen to songs and I've even listened somewhere I thought, oh man, this would have been big if it came out like 2005, 2006, because sure. yeah, it, it, it has that vibe, it has that emotion to it. But when I was listening to Intercorrupted, I never got that. And I think a good amount of it was, I'm, I'm going to put it this way, and it goes all the way from the intro as well. But right before you get to that first verse, because when you listen to it, you have like some elect- electronic kind of sound to it, but they also have like some, like, I don't exactly know what instrument you could use, but it was a, I think it was a string instrument, but it had that like very, 
Arab or very Indian inspired kind of sound to it. Sure. Well, that's the raw thing, right? So I have to, I have to always throw in some weird little quirky nod to the legacy of the band, which was always sort of like the Arabic music that I would throw into other stuff. Um, there's a lot less of that on this record because, and it's interesting. Um, I actually have to jump in a minute, but it's interesting that, uh, the newest System of Down record that just came out, the, new, the two songs that just popped out. I went and I listened to them downstairs today, you know, like really focused. And I've always loved the band. And I listened to it and I was like, I really like these songs, but there's so many things that they're doing that are sort of directly things that they have done already that there's always that fine line between, well, is this them being them or is this a gimmick that they use to brand their band and for me personally the arabic thing and the raw stuff as much as i know people really like it i you know i didn't want to do it a whole bunch on the album there are moments obviously in a corrupted has a moment there's a couple of other moments on different songs on the record that have it but every time i sort of went in that space i was like this is so gimmicky this is so like oh i'm doing this because i'm supposed to do some arabic shit even though i'm puerto rican and the band has nothing to do with with Arab anything. I mean, even even there's no ancient Egyptian music. It's Egypt was pre-Arabic anyway. But um, anyway, the, the the moral of the story is, you know, the album I think captures exactly what I wanted to sort of design from the ground up. So there's there's there are songs that are serious. There are songs that are beautiful. There are songs that are absolutely classic raw and then there's songs that are completely new and based on things that the band has never done but the everybody in the band is all original and it brings that color to you know the the, the familiarity of scooters drumming and and pj's bass playing all of that stuff is in every song so you still get the band you know Understand, but before you have to before you have to go, I'm just gonna go with this on Intercorrupted because we were talking about again was just where it had that classic kind of raw feel to it, but you want to make sure that it ha- that it wasn't feel like it was dated in terms of it should have come out you know ten or fifteen years ago. And again, like I was saying with the intro, like when you get that like Arab or Indian kind of uh, inspiration in there with that string, it, you really get a feel of just that this is gonna be raw. This is gonna be uniquely them. But then right after that, you get this like heavier sense with a little bit more of a hard, harder kind of uh, drumming style, a little bit more of a bursting kind of style. And I really love the move on this one. I'm just taking a look at my note sheet because I made like a three page note sheet for the song. <laughs> That's I'm kind of turning my head. But I was like, we get this feeling that we were being thrown right into the foray of the song with a mixture of like a lighter sound, then a half, like a more rapid, heavy sound right after it. And that rapid, heavy sound, it makes it feel like it should have come out like right around this time. So I love the move on that one. I love the way it transitions right from that part to the next. And then how the song builds up as like more of a story because you kind of start out with kind of drawn back and you kind of build it up, pull it back, build it up. And then when you get to like the little bit of a breakdown and a bridge. Ooh, that's really where it hits. I even saw a couple of comments on the YouTube video where it's like, oh my God, Ra is back. And people are just absolutely loving this song. And it was a lot of the stuff that we were just talking about where it's, it does feel like a Ra song, but it doesn't feel like you guys are just kind of doing the same thing you guys always did it's the the score is there but you're adding so much more to it yeah i mean i'm trying i'm showing off a little bit i'm trying to show off you know the last 12 years of writing for other people you know and i i think i think the songs that i've written for other people that have been successful um i've learned lessons from 
And I've been able to sort of take those things and put them into my toolbox and be like, ooh, when I get to do something special, I'm gonna yank this out of the toolbox and start, you know, um, getting the ball rolling. And not, you know, on that note also, you know, the album will have some features on it. So because I'm so, you know, lucky to be able to work with a lot of cool people, um, I'm in the process of, of, of locking down some really cool features that are gonna, you know, I think people are going to be very surprised who's on the album singing with me. So it'll be cool. I'm hoping I have a point where all of a sudden I'll be looking at that album and all of a sudden I see who's featured on there. I'm going to hear it and just have my jaw drop to the floor. Like again, like with what happened with bring me the horizons album. I'm, I'm hoping for that exact same kind of feel. Yeah. It, 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 I, it, there's at least two songs that I know for sure that I'm pretty sure you're going to have that vibe. I cannot wait. So that, I mean, can, can, can March come yet? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll pass through every, I'll pass through the rest of the winter. I'll pass over my birthday. I'll pass over Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, can we just get to the album release on this? Like, I kind of want to hear the whole thing, man. <laughs> well, I got to finish it first, but yeah, we'll make it happen. <laughs> we'll make it happen. And before you, cause I know you say, I know you say you got to bounce real quick. So before you get to go, I'll give you uh, the last words on this to kind of just really say what you want to say, plug what you got to plug, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say, the floor is yours. Cool. So yeah, you know, if you're looking for us and you have you have no idea how to find us, the best place to go is robann.net. That's the easiest one because we can you can get your email logged in there. You can go to our Facebook page. You can go to Instagram. Do whatever you want to do from that page. Go to our YouTube page. It's all immediately at robann.net. Um, and as far as you know, listening to us, you know, one of the one of the things that is tricky because the name of the band is Ra. It's hard to find us on Spotify because just RA is a hard word. It's just too small for algorithms. So one of the things we did, one of the things that, that naming the song Intercorrupted actually helps is the fact that there is no other song called Intercorrupted. There's no band called Intercorrupted because it's not a real word. <laughs> so if you want to find us 100% on Spotify, you can search Intercorrupted or you can search Raw Intercorrupted and you will always find us. That, that said, if you find us and you want to stay connected and know what we're doing, you got to hit that follow button. If you click on follow, then you'll be able to find us every time you search us. So we're sort of, it's almost a weird thing to have to teach people because in the old days, having a name like Rob was a huge advantage because a lot of bands had a lot of letters and all this other stuff. And if you saw us on a poster, our letters were always huge. Um, but now with algorithms, you know, you put in raw nine out of 10 times, you get a website for rheumatoid arthritis. So that's, uh, that's where we're at right now. But yeah, that's it. Rawband.net. Just come and say hi. We're, we're always down to talk and chat. Or if you're on Spotify, you just search up Rob and you put in the search bar. Well, for me, at least the first thing that comes up is Romstein. So I exactly. totally understand where you're coming from. However, I'm going to double down on that even and make it easier for everybody because when it comes to finding Ra anywhere uh, in terms of their website, in terms of their merch, anywhere, social media, anywhere you can stream it, you can also take a look at the description of the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, podcast, Google Play, iHeartRadio. I'm going to have all the links for them in there. So it's going to be a one click, one tap away kind of thing and make it as easy as possible on you guys. Just again, easy, convenience. It's the name of the game for this. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me, dude. It was a great time. Thanks for being on, Saj. And I, I was absolutely blown away by this uh, podcast. I mean, for like first like 45 minutes, I'm just sitting here listening to you talk. I'm just like, this is absolutely incredible. I don't want him to stop. <laughs> All good, dude. Thank you so much, dude. I appreciate that. I cannot wait for the album to come out. I can't wait to listen to more of this stuff. And well, once concerts resume and once all this stuff, you know, COVID goes away and you start touring, 
come back to Milwaukee and come to the rave because um yeah we'll it. be there for sure because if, if if you're if you like to drink first round's on me all right we'll make it happen definitely uh, I love uh, it thank you so much all right so on that note I cannot say goodbye because now I got plans to buy you a drink the next the first time I see you play live so can't end with a goodbye man with a see you later yeah dude see you soon see you soon well, 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 folks, that was my review with Sahaj from the band Ra. And again, if you guys notice, like, through the first, like, 45 minutes, Sahaj talked a lot, but I wanted that to happen because if you saw my face, like, I was just enamored by everything that was being said. I was just trying to take it all in. There was so much to listen and so much to hear about, and I couldn't help it, guys. I mean, I was absolutely blown away by this whole entire thing. So, again, I want to thank Sahaj for being on the Chord Progression Podcast. I cannot wait for the Intercorrupt album to come out on March 19th, 2021. I cannot wait to talk to Sahaj about this whole entire album when it drops. Cannot wait to see what happens. And hopefully concerts get back again soon because I want to see them play live so badly. So I hope you guys feel the same way. That's going to be for me, guys. Thank you guys for watching and listening to the Chord Progression Podcast. But today, MSOTD rocks. We're rocking metal thrive. My name is Kevin, and you guys know how I end every single one of these episodes with a big, healthy, and hearty. See ya! Oh.